universe began, light has remained unchanged. Now man has created a new kind of light with powers and properties unlike anything that existed before. Laser light. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Xerox 2C podcast. This is Ryan. And this is John. Hello. And uh, sort of the recap from last week, I went over uh, skin disease that was found worldwide in dolphins. And John, you want to go ahead and tell what, what you talked about? Yeah, so uh, it turns out there's like a, a type of hearing loss, or the large majority uh, of permanent like deafness is hereditary. There's a genetic component. And um, with some novel gene therapy methods, um, it might be possible to um, uh, cure that. Although it's, it's only been done in mice, but uh, it's already promising that uh, they could move to humans. Yeah. So um, with that being said, uh, today we're going to go into uh, my article since last week we started off with John. And so we always, right. always flip-flop. And um, so, yeah, I guess the title of this article uh, is What are Qu uh, Quarks and Gluons? So, All right. Yeah. And I know, John, this is like sort of your, you know, this is your, I guess your, your, uh, you your give, you give me of, too much credit. <laughs> give me too much credit. <laughs> this is your type of like favorite taste in uh in physics, but okay. So, what are quarks and gluons? And this is by the U.S. Department of Energy. And, ah, wow. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so this the the site I got it from was SciTech Daily, and uh, yeah. So, uh, the reason why I picked this article was because I did not really know about quarks and gluons. I knew they existed. I heard of them. The words thrown around, like if John was talking to me about it in quantum mechanics or uh, anything, I if we talked about physics, sometimes we'd be thrown around. Um, and so I, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is a cool article that's going to sort of maybe teach me about the, the uh, what are what are these and why do they exist? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, John, do you, do you want to like maybe give, don't go too deep because I, I got to, <laughs> I, I, I still got to. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I know, I know. Um, uh, so so I, I think like a, a good overview that I don't think will ruin your article is um, many, I think li you can literally go on the streets uh, and you could ask someone, well, not during COVID, right? But, you know, maybe post COVID, you could find, you could ask like, okay, what's, what's an atom consistent, right? The atom is like the, um, even the, the Greek word, like atom means like smallest unit or indivisible. And you'd ask them, okay, what are atoms made of? And they would tell you uh, electrons, protons, and, and neutrons. But what most people don't really know is that your protons and neutrons are actually made of uh, even smaller particles, which um, we would consider the quarks. And you mentioned um, gluons, and uh, their name uh, is already a hint to uh, what they do. They literally um, glue these quarks together. I'll I'll stop right there. I think that's a, that's a good overview. Yeah, that was like perfect. So this leads straight into what um so what John was talking about with quarks um, and gluons. They um, the, these are known to be the building blocks of protons and neutrons, and um, so which in turn are the building blocks of atomic nuclei. And I'm pretty sure we, you know, maybe you learned this in, in high school or wherever, you know, maybe wherever you're from, you learned this in, I don't know, in your traditional education about what makes up a, an atom. And, you know, you have your protons, neutrons, and electrons, right? And see, that, that's where I thought, like, okay, you know, we're taught sort of those are sort of the building blocks. But, you know, now when you get sort of higher, I guess, higher in education, you learn about these quarks and, and, and gluons, which, wait, John, did you know about this stuff? you know, previously? Uh, that, that yeah, to... I mean, I, but I was a huge nerd back in like elementary and, and middle school. So, so I was like, oh, wow, you know, cool. But um, uh, you're, you're right though. Uh, for 
introductory chemistry, you will learn, like you need to know your electrons and, and neutrons and protons. But, but once you, like that will carry you through the rest of your um, career. I think most chemists don't really have to worry too much about, you know, gluons or, or um, quarks. Okay. And yeah, so I guess more stuff about the atomic nuclei, maybe you didn't know, John. Uh, let's see. Um, it was discovered by Ernest Rutherford based on the 1909 uh, okay, Geiger-Marsden gold foil experiment. Does that sound familiar? You shoot alpha particles at a piece of gold foil, or was it alpha or was it like electrons? But Yeah, you shoot. I, I didn't look into the experiment, but I know that you shoot something into the gold foil and it like, refl- it like bounces off certain... Right, well... The original theory back then was that the particles should just go through. But what actually happened was like a small percentage of those like would go like straight back towards the, um, the particle beam. And that's how they had to revise the uh, actual model of the, uh, the nucleus. I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with the experiment. But this is a good review. This is a good review. <laughs> yeah, maybe after, yeah, after the podcast, I'm gonna, I need to look up yeah, the actual yeah, experiment. Um, but yeah, I, remember, I, I even remember learning this in biology. Um, biology? Why? Yeah. Um, because I took biology before chemistry. So in high school, oh, wow. yeah. So okay. I took chemistry in my, what was like one of my last classes. It was, it's really weird, but, uh, huh. yeah. And so, uh, oh yeah. And the protons, neutrons and electrons, are of course, bounded by electrostatic force and almost all the mass of an atom is located in the nucleus. So these are some, some, some facts that I, that I found online. Uh, okay. and so the term nucleus is from the Latin word, uh, nucleus a diminutive of nux or nut meaning the kernel inside a watery type fruit so yeah so they, they sort of they, an analogy they get they would give this is that you have a peach you have the the nut in, inside and then the shell is sort of like if you were to <laughs> compare an atom with a fruit oh okay yeah. wow I, I didn't know the uh, the latin origin because i um i would have guessed greek because i think i'm pretty certain the word atom is uh, is greek in origin okay yeah so this is yeah nucleus so is nucleus okay, well, do you think nucleus is from greek origin well i mean sometimes uh, i'm 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 not a linguist here but i'm pretty certain there are times where there's greek and then the latins take in the greek and it becomes latin you know over time but gotcha. uh, I, I think i think what you said is right though uh, but i i don't know i mean it, it, this is a new fact for me like the the uh, etym- etymological origin of that word that's super cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. I guess like a fun analogy to if if a kid were to ask me like, oh, can you show it to me like physically? I, I would probably grab a peach or an apple. Yeah, get, not, get well, a, get not a really an apple, but peach. Yeah, but um, anyways, so yeah, these fundamental particles are the, uh, oh yeah, so so quarks uh, and gluons. These uh, so from I guess the fundamental fundamental particles are the only one to have a characteristic called color change. Uh, does does that okay? Okay, cool. And so not only does the atomic nuclei consist of positive and negative charges, quarks and glu- uh, gluons contain three additional states of charge. Uh, do you want to, do, do you think you know this? Th- these three? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's, see, let's see if I can explain it from memory. Feel free to stop me if I get it wrong. So okay. um, the, the way I want to introduce this to the people watching is you, you mentioned charge and colored charge. I think it's a little confusing. So why don't we... Uh, just quickly remember that um, in, in a normal atom, electrons have a negative charge and protons have a positive charge. But when we talk about gluons, there's an additional property that acts very much like a charge. So, so what does charge do for us? Well, charge dictates 
whether or not certain things are attracted to each other or whether or not they repel. So for quarks, um, there's a color-based, um, and, and keep in mind, when we say color, it's not because quarks actually have color. They don't have color. You cannot see. But for our human brains, we like to ascribe colors um, to these individual quarks. So there's red, green, and blue, and there's also anti-colors as well. So you get cyan, magenta, and yellow. Um, so that's like, uh, we have anti-particles that are um, anti-colors um, as well for quarks. Oh, wow. I didn't know about anti-color. Uh, yeah, um, so that's the thing. Anti, like not color? So they... uh, I don't know if it's called anti, anti. That's how I remember it. But basically, each color has an opposite color, and they attract each other. So, um, uh, oh, well, I'll save this for later. I think you're about to explain, like, what exactly protons and neutrons are, or, like, what kind of configuration they have. Oh, wait, can you, you can go ahead and explain that. I think you would explain it way better than... Than what I okay. Can. Yeah. So there are actually, I think there are six kinds of quarks. Uh, I might be wrong on the exact number. Um, up, down, strange, charm, and um, up, down, strange, charm. There's two others that I don't remember off the top of my head, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. So there's up, down, charm, strange, top, and bottom. Top and okay. There we go. So for protons and neutrons, um, there actually consists of uh, three quarks. Um, I forget which one is which, but one of them is two up quarks and one down quark. And the other one is two down quarks and one up quark. And um, those conform, th those make up essentially a proton um, and a neutron. And if you learn more about particle physics, uh, you'll know that a neutron can actually decay um, into a proton uh, and an electron. And it turns out that if you look on an even smaller scale, um, it's because one of the quarks ends up um, changing. So yeah, they were. So I, I looked at a little history about them. Um, so they were discovered in 1979. Uh, experiments at the Desi Laboratory in Germany provided the first direct proof of the existence of gluons by John Ellis. So John so, Ellis so was a theorist, a uh, physicist. When theorist. you say gluons, you're saying that we found the glue before we found the actual particles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I, I didn't know that. And um, so, yeah, so this, okay, so I guess I'm going to tell you a little story about how El of Ellis recounting what allowed him to come up with this experiment in, like, dis in discovering gluons, which, I, I mean, to even think about that, though, like, of, of an experiment to find what glues together, you know, atoms is sort of, like, you would right. just walking down the street, you don't, you don't really think about that. But, I mean, I guess that's why we have <laughs> these, you know, physicists that are out there. These theorists that, that are you know, they, they do what they do. So he was walking uh, walking over the bridge from the CERN cafeteria back to his office, and turning the corner by the library, when it occurred to him that the simplest experimental situation to search directly for the gluon would be through production via uh, Bremsstrahlung in electron positron an annihilation. And oh, Brem Bremsstrung! I know what you're talking about. I think it's not Cherenkov radiation. Uh, Cheren there are two like famous types of radiation. Most physicists Cherenkov radiation is the blue glow that you see when you stick a nuclear rod um, into water, oh. and you see that blue glow in react. That's Cherenkov radiation. Um, Bremsstrahlung radiation is like X-ray. I think it's like an X-ray radiation from when an electron hits. Um, 
I, I should know this from from prior physics, but it's it's been so long. But but keep going, keep no, going. No, that's that's okay. really cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know there's two different types of like radiations, right? So the well, it I mean there are probably more types, but these are like like Cherenkov's the one I know like the best, just because like um, if you ever, you ever see those pictures inside a nuclear reactor and there's like that weird blue glow from the reactor, it's um it's called Cherenkov radiation. Oh wow. And oh yeah, so uh, and so in this process, an electron and a positron would annihilate, and it would occasionally produce three jets of particles, and they put quotations jets, um, one of which being generated by a gluon radiated uh, by a quark antiquark pair. Oh okay, wow. So um, yeah, and then now we, I guess we go into so what is the force that holds these particles together? Because there's different types of forces, right? In nature, we have uh, we have gravity. We have the, uh, the, the four fundamental forces. Oh, I'm sorry, four. Yeah, 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 right, right. So yeah, the strong. So we have the gravity. We have strong nuclear forces. We have electromagnetism and the weak nuclear forces. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, uh, some, I guess I'll give us some examples of weak nuclear forces because I think we sort of have a good idea of what, at least what gravity feels like, because <laughs> you know we're on Earth. Gravity and electromagnetism are um, very familiar. Like the, we have an intuition for it. Um, I think it'd be great if you could explain like the strong and the weak nuclear force to um, those in the audience. Yeah. So yeah. So let me let me give you some examples of like weak nuclear forces, and some of them are like beta decay, which a neutron disappears and is replaced by a proton, uh, and a proton, an electron, and a neutrino. So that's like one example. Um, and there, uh, uh, weak nuclear forces are found to play a role in nuclear fusion, which, um, yeah. And then so the strong nuclear forces. Or uh, gluons, right, John? Right, right. So the it's like it's stronger so, than gravity, and all like I think electromagnetism and all the all the, all the other forces, basically. If I remember, um, depending on the scale, the scale is pretty important here. Okay. Like gravity's super weak at, at certain, but you know, like uh, as you mentioned, strong nuclear force um, at certain scales like definitely overrides the others. But at, um, but yeah, you're. Um, it sounds about right. Okay. Oh, and uh, I think it's sorry. One of the things I wanted to add is uh, you mentioned like the strong nuclear force, and, and you mentioned gluons. Uh, one of one of the uh, things you people should uh, know. So, so these four forces are known in physics as the four fundamental forces. They they govern you know all the matter and uh, all the matter around us, uh, and each of these forces, uh, at least three of them, uh, have what we call a mediator particle. So for the um, strong nuclear force, that's the gluon, um, as you mentioned. Um, for the weak nuclear force, they're actually, if you look at the standard model, um, I encourage you um, all to look that up if you want, but the standard model uh, is almost like a periodic table, but it's for different particles. And uh, there are several particles responsible for the weak nuclear force. And then uh, electromagnetism, uh, that's the humble uh, electron slash, that's the photon, that's a photon. Uh, if you want to look up, uh, the there's math behind each force, right? So for um, for electrons or electromagnetism, you might want to look into QED, um, quantum electrodynamics, that was uh, pioneered by Feynman. Uh, and for uh, what Ryan, what you're talking about, gluons and quarks, um, you can talk about quantum chromodynamics. That's like the math behind um, or, or the force governing uh, um, those interactions. Wow. Uh... Okay, yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's the mediating particle. But one of the greatest questions in physics is gravity is kind of the weird, like the odd child of the family. It doesn't fit in 
with the other three forces. And for um, for century, I think I think maybe over a century now, um, physicists have been trying to figure out: okay, how do you get gravity to fit in or play nice with the other three forces? Because gravity, um, gravity, uh, I mentioned there's like uh, mediating particles, right? So um, electromagnetism is photons. Uh, the strong force is, I think, you know, gluons. The weak force is like these. Um, um, certain uh, uh, other mediating particles, but gravity—we've never seen a, a graviton. A graviton yeah. would be the proposed particle, but we haven't seen experimental evidence of this. So that's weird, huh? Yeah, it, it's um, yet to be seen, or it may not exist at all. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, like, what even is gravity? I know I remember watching like YouTube videos on them trying to explain because gravity is, is sort of. It's there. You can feel it. It's sort of, um, but like, that's that's. It, it, it's, it's one of the things that, like I, I mentioned earlier, right? Like in our daily lives, right? The two forces we'll probably deal with the most are electromagnetism, like for the light, for the audio, you know, the, the internet that's transmitting um, our information here, uh, and gravity, which is gluing us to the ground right now. Um, but when you really get into the the nitty gritty of um, gravity it, it sort of it, it really becomes a very convoluted topic like uh, you know you it can even go like uh, f philosophical you know when when people talk about gravity i've i've seen uh, i don't know but, huh, okay. but you know what's really weird also is that we, i think we know it seems like we know much more at smaller scale like you know like with gluons uh quarks neutrons protons but with gravity you know we, we well can, i think we we know a lot about both realms, I would argue. The problem is, uh, I think the real problem here is trying to get them to play nice. Physicists don't like the fact that general relativity uh, or, or um, you know, there's certain parts of physics that don't really play, um, they, they don't really interact well. Um, there, there's a misconception that, uh, oh, so we can't get quantum mechanics to work with um, relativity. That's not true, um, in fact. Uh, you will, uh, in, in higher division uh, physics, you'll learn about relativistic quantum mechanics where, um, you remember the Schrodinger equation, Ryan? I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So that's like, you know, basic physics. But but what happens is um, the Schrodinger equation is for a very ideal scenario where the particle isn't really moving quickly. But in the real world, particles can move at, you know, 99% the speed of light. And we need uh, relativistic mechanics there. And there's a derivation. Um, I think it's called Dirac's equation. And there's another equation as well um, that explain, like, they integrate a relativistic mechanics. But it's, it's uh, what, what I'm trying to get at is um, gravity is just a royal pain in the butt for many. Um, it, it just it does not play nice a lot of times. Like, I, I think I mentioned in, in string theory. That's why we want string theory. We want to be able to unify these different mathematical frameworks for explaining the universe. Um, at the edge of black holes, um, there are... Uh, we're trying to figure out what happens there. Gra uh, general relativity says one thing, but quantum mechanics says another thing, and they don't seem to line up where we would expect them to. So string yeah. theory should hopefully explain that. But once again, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, string theory... And couldn't, right? That's the... Well, string theory has a lot of really nice stuff, but we don't know if it's like a proper representation of the universe. That's the thing. Um, it has a number of requirements that um, we have yet to observe. Not to mention that um, string theory has 10, like the number 10, with an mm -hmm. exponent of 500, 10 to the 500 different solutions. So we need to find the solution wow. that explains our universe. And we haven't found that yet. So 
we we don't know if it's a, if it's possible or not. Yeah, there's a recent article on uh, I think SciTech Daily. Um, oh wow! They, they talked about they used AI to try to solve this uh, Schrodinger equation. Oh yeah, um, I, I I saw the headline for that. I didn't actually read the article. Uh, for those, I think I'll like just tell chat, and then I'll let you go on, Ryan, because uh, okay. I know I've been, I, I'm just, I'm super hyped. You can tell it's a topic I'm very excited about. Yeah, yeah But yeah. Schrodinger's equation is, for those that aren't too mathematically inclined, it's a second-order partial differential equation. Um, and, and it's uh, doing it by hand. Uh, uh, you, to solve or use Schrodinger's equation, you have to set up the environment your particle is in. And for introductory physics, there are different environments you can set it up for, um, like for a sphere, so a hydrogen atom, or um, for a, 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 a well, uh, a potential energy well. But as you try more and more complicated setups, like maybe you try and do a beryllium atom, so that has more electrons uh, and a, a denser nucleus and all that stuff, the equation gets harder to solve. Differential equations, by their nature, are very painful to um, solve. Even yeah. computers, like it, it takes a ridiculous amount of time to um, solve them, um, even with the best computers, so. Yeah. All right, that's. <gasps> yeah, I mean, <laughs> differential equations are hard to solve. That, that there's so many different techniques you can use on them, but they sometimes lead to uglier solutions. Yeah, yeah. Um, onsots, like, right, like you make a guess, and then you have to like fine tune yeah. the guess. And, and there are, like the history of differential equations, it's always like, try and convert it into a form you can work with. And then once you have the form, there are like different test solutions you can plug in and, and manipulate and, oh, it gets, it gets nasty real quick, but. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so we talked about all, all these like forces and now how do we separate these quarks and gluons? So the, uh, the, according to this article, the only way to separate these particles, maybe you know a different way, I don't know, but the only way to separate these particles is to create a state of matter known as quark gluon plasma. Ah. And yeah, so, uh, and so what is plasma, I guess? Um, the question is, to, for me, when I, when I first was reading this, I'm like, what? what? Uh, elect it's electrically conducting medium in which there are roughly equal numbers of positively and negatively charged particles produced when the atoms um, in a gas become ionized. And this is also known as the fourth state of matter. So, uh, John, did you, did you, uh, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I mean, that's, that sounds pretty much spot on. So, so when we say ionize, uh, what we mean is like, okay, so you've got your atom. Uh, atoms normally have their electrons floating around it. So what you do is you literally strip off. The, the electrons no longer are localized to your nucleus. And as a result, you have these, um, this goop, um, as I like to think of it, of these, um, all these charged particles. Um, they're no longer confined to their own um, individual uh, spheres and everything. Yeah, and, and uh, Ryan's right. It is the... Um, fourth state of matter. I remember, I remember saying that over and over in elementary school, just to try and sound smart. Now I realize I was being a real pain in the butt, like, you know, wow. showing off, but, um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a good explanation. Quark, uh, uh, plasma for plasma, quark gluon plasma is a, a, a more, uh, nuanced definition though. <laughs> yeah. And that's, it's funny. Cause I, in, in elementary school, I, all I knew was just like, you know, solids, liquid gases. I, I, I never right. heard of and, this fourth state. And many, and many people will go about their lives just knowing those. Th I mean, that's all they really have to um, worry about. <laughs> but um, yeah, because I mean, I guess every day, you know, you don't, you don't see plasma just leaking off someone's faucet or something. Right, right. <laughs> uh, or, I mean, you know, unless you own like, what, like those plasma globes, you know, like uh. you, you put your hands on it and there's like the, the tendrils, those, 
I, I used to I used to have one of those, and then I I broke it. So <laughs> wait, did the liquids spill out? No, I mean I mean well, plasma globes like don't stuff? have um liquids in them, right? It's it's oh. just um noble gases I think that get ionized, but oh, okay. um, but I I oh. shattered, I broke the um I shattered, I accidentally dropped it and it broke the um the external. But you know, once I broke it, I I looked how it worked in the inside, so I took it apart and it it um for those that are curious. Um, it has the same or similar high voltage circuitry as an old television set does. So it's like something called like a flyback transformer, which is responsible for like generating very high voltages. Um, you see the same thing uh, in a plasma globe. Wow, I, I was thinking about um, lava lamps, the liquid inside oh, lava lamps. Oh, lava lamps. Yeah. Okay. For a minute. I yeah. mean, those. Yeah, those. Those don't have plasma. <laughs> yeah. It's just. A, it's just. A, it's a cool. Um, um, cool effect that I think exploits um, the sort of. Uh, Actually, I'm not sure how, how I would describe how they work, but um, I think it's like viscosity, like, you know, water and oil, right? Mm -hmm. There's like a natural a hydrophobic nature of oil. Yeah, there we go. I think I would put it that way. Some hydrophobic thing going on in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, so uh, some quark and gluon facts that I, uh, to sort of wrap this article up. Um, so there are six different uh, kinds of quarks, which we talked about earlier. Uh, with wide range. Wait, what about the uh, experiment you were telling me about? How did they... Uh... The... Wait, which experiment? The the one from... The one you told me where he, he was walking down the hallway at CERN or something, and then he came up with the idea to figure out how to... Oh, like, yeah. So, so what exactly, like, like, did he just, I don't know, smash some particles together? Was there a exotic setup or... Uh, there is, and he, he actually, there's actually a, a nice link that, that, that talks about it. So yeah, go for it. So some quark and gluon facts. There are six different. Oh yeah, we talked about this. Six different uh, kinds of quark. We you know up, down, charm, strange, top, and bottom, which uh, John mentioned earlier. And quarks are the only elementary particles to experience all the known forces of nature, and to have a fractional electric charge. Um, and the last one being ah. the interaction between quarks and gluons um, are responsible for almost all the perceived mass of protons and neutrons. And is therefore where we get our mass. So, some cool fun facts, I guess. Uh, I think uh, I think one of the other odd facts I wanted to sort of mention is like uh, under under Coulomb's principle, um, like you like uh, if you have like spheres of charge and you you pull them apart, um, they'll uh, the the attraction weakens, right? But for quarks, uh, the thing is you can never actually see um, a quark by itself. Um, in fact, like it, it, they always come in pairs for quarks, um, always, even like at high energies. And it's, it's, it's like nature forbids a quark to be by itself. So um, usually there's like such a high energy or such high potential energy that a particle can like pop up and then you'll have another, um, another pairing. Uh, if you, uh, anyone's interested, you can check out um, quantum chromodynamics, but um, that usually requires a good understanding of quantum field theory. And quantum field theory is no, um, it's no like easy subject. Uh, learning about QFT is like going from uh, special relativity to general relativity. So um, Ryan, what do you think the, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think the difference is between special and general relativity? Oh man, from uh... Or um, which one do you think came first? Like when Einstein was like coming up with, which one do you think, special or, or general? general relativity came first ah it's it's actually special he oh, came up with okay. special first and then later on um he, it, it's it's pretty easy to get him mixed up so uh with special relativity uh we usually talk about 
you or um, the object of interest moving in a straight, uh, straight trajectory. And if you know, like just basic physics, keeping a straight trajectory means your acceleration is uh, is uh, you have no acceleration. So you can you can still have velocity, but no acceleration. And no acceleration means your velocity remains constant. So if I'm going from Earth and then I go at 99% uh, the speed of light, then you know I'm just going in a straight. That special relativity can um, that that's uh, reserved for zero acceleration. And if you want to learn special relativity, even in high school, you can understand it. It's very easy. Um, the math is, um, there are no integrals, there's no differential equations, no field tensors, nothing like that. It's very easy stuff. It, it's just wrapping your head around the fact that everything is relative. Um, that's, the, that's the whole point of it. But general relativity is when you start getting the really cool stuff. So now uh, we have curvature. You know, we can deal with varying acceleration. Your velocity changes over time. And that's where we can't say the math is nice, because then you have to worry about um, metric tensors and, and field equations. And, and even for me, like I know I have a, a very rough idea of what those are, but I, I can't say I've ever had to solve anything um, in the realm of general relativity, although I would very much like to. Yeah, so that wraps up my article, John. I think we can go ahead oh, and awesome. move on to yours. Very yeah, sure. Finding about what RNA DNA mix. In prior articles, I, I think I remember talking about, uh, do you remember Venus? I also talked, uh, it was the project that was designed to simulate conditions in space um, in order to better understand uh, how organic molecules could, you know, interact in space. Do you remember that from uh, last episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, that was a good overview of what, what, what you talked about, too. Oh, yeah, it's the, uh, the second article, I think. Um, because normally in our, in our titles, right, we just pick the first articles we go with. Um, otherwise, the, the titles are going to get, like, way too long. So, <laughs> so this, this article that I have um, kind of builds off this. Uh, uh, this might not be the only article about this topic, but I think I've, I've geeked out over this as well um, on, on the podcast. It's like how life came from, you know, the primordial soup. So, uh, you know, like in, in the very beginning, um, science tells us that uh, – the early Earth had a bunch of like amino acids and, and ingredients um, for early life. It sounds like you want to um, say something, Ryan. <laughs> oh yeah, when you say primordial Earth, I mean primordial soup. What uh, does that just mean? Like the beginning of life? Of is that what? You... Yeah. Oh, oh, I should. That's a, that's an excellent point. Um, I should clarify that a primordial soup is a term for like um, uh, the belief that so so Earth in the very early before there was any life, there was a lot of water. Um, and it was, it, Earth was still very young at the time. And this is after like the meteor showers and everything. And, and uh, you know, we have all this liquid matter. And inside the water, there's a lot of amino acids. There are, you know, a lot of uh, the ingredients for life are in that soup. And over time, through some still unknown chemical processes, um, the soup eventually became, you know, um, unicellular life. And then we've got the multicellular life and then, you know, fish and then fish, you know, walked onto land. And then, you know, now we have life as we know it today. But primordial soup, um, good catch, Ryan, uh, is the term that gets thrown around um, oh. for describing, you know, the early, early earth um, when there was no life and it was just, you know, a bunch of bubbling water, essentially. Yeah, I, I never heard of that term before. So, yeah. oh, really? Okay. Uh, it might, that term, there's like a story behind how it came about, too. It's, um, it sort of makes been sense. around for a, a century, but okay. uh, it's it's a fun analogy, right? You know, pri it's primordial, it's just super old, 
and soup because it really was a soup. I mean, it's just a bunch of amino <laughs> yeah. acids and, and organic compounds. And, and over time, you know, somehow these uh, uh, molecules assemble themselves in such a way as to uh, give a, a rise to life as we know it today. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, this article comes from Science Daily. Um, and it, it's the, this discovery, the article is that it boosts the theory that life on Earth arose from an RNA uh, DNA mixture. Um, RNA DNA mixture. So, uh, why that's relevant to you, and and you know why that's even a huge thing in the news, uh, I'll, I'll get to pretty shortly. But first, I, I should give credit where it's due. Um, this was from the Scripps Research Institute, and the study was published in a chemistry journal, um, which the name of the journal I can't actually uh, pr uh, pronounce here. Engenwat Chemie. Maybe it's a uh, uh, Dutch, uh, but it's, uh, but this is the article itself was published in um, Science Daily, and basically. Um, what they found is that there is a compound called diamidophosphate, diamidophosphate, um, that was potentially present on Earth before life arose. So during the primordial soup, which could have actually helped knit um, the original DNA um, that may have led to the uh, earliest life forms. Okay. So there is this compound. Uh, the acronym is DAP, D-A-P. Okay, DAP, DAP. Let's say dab. Dab. <laughs> yeah, dab. yeah, okay. Uh, and, and the but this latest development kind of confirms the idea or, or a, a new theory that the first self-replicating molecules um, were mixtures of DNA and RNA. And the reason that's so important is because for decades scientists have believed that um, the early world was only RNA. We thought okay. that in the very beginning. Life was all RNA. Uh, Ryan, do you want to um, kind of describe what the difference is between RNA and, and DNA? Just like the simplest thing you can come up with. Um, well, shoot. Uh, DNA, as much as I know, is sort of contained in the nucleus. And they're gonna, it's going to be uh, sort of the instructions on to, to build various proteins or to, you know, to build whatever right. it needs in the cell. Right. Whereas RNA, RNA needs... Um, it's, it's floating around in the cytoplasm and it needs um, a, a ribosome to adhere to it in order to sort of bid on, I guess, to add on this, the, the complete instruction. I don't know. Uh, right. No, you're, um, so that, that's, that's one use of RNA. RNA is like pretty like multi-purpose. Like even, okay. I think ribosomes are even made of like little bits of RNA as well. And then uh, I think I talked about an article um, uh, about micro RNAs and how like miRNAs can be used to suppress certain genes and all that stuff. Um, but okay, even but, simpler than that, Ryan, like uh, what's the difference in the structure? Yeah, the structure. Okay. Um, I know RNA uh, contains like, oh man, I, I, I know DNA, you know, deoxyribonucleic acid versus uh -huh. uh, RNA, which is ribonucleic acid. Or Yeah, you're right. I, but, you have to remind me the, the structure. I, I, but I remember, yeah. So DNA is double-stranded, right? Okay. It's, it's like the, the, the helical staircase. But RNA is just a, it's like a half-strand almost. Okay, yeah. It's, so that's like visually, visually. Actually, um, for those of you who are, are more well-versed in chemistry and in biology, you will know um, there are other fundamental differences between the two. But for the purpose of this article, all you need to know is that RNA is sort of like just half of, of a DNA strand. It's, it's safe to take the simplified model um, into your mind. So, so um, you would think, okay, DNA is, is two strands, right? It's two of these glued together. RNA is just a single strand. So in the early Earth, 
like like primordial soup, which one do you think would have been easier to randomly form, RNA or DNA? Like, well, thinking of it, you know, uh, RNA because it's half the strand. You know, you so when you sort of think of building things, you know, you start with like half and half, and then you merge them together, and you know, to create something more complex. That that would right. be my my intuition. Your, yeah, your intuition, uh, and and a lot of um, biologists agree. Like like the early the RNA world hypothesis was the belief that okay, in the very beginning everything was RNA, and then over time DNA come up. But now, um, with this uh, latest research, um, they're saying that maybe this wasn't the case because um, RNA does have a problem where um, it's really easy for RNA to make uh, copies of itself. And oh, it looks like uh, Bishy oh, Bucky hey, Bishy um, has Bucky. left a. <laughs> Um, uh, drop. Yeah, some of these, uh, some of these little uh, bear. Um, what do you call them? Emotes, right? Twitch yeah. calls them emotes. emotes. Okay. Um, once again, uh, for those that are new to um, the podcast, I am very lacking. Like, I'm not too familiar with all this uh, uh, Twitch terminology. Ryan's a lot better um, with the stuff. But, you got uh, it. You got it. The emotes. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. That's yeah. uh, you know, that's that's all. That's what that's what all this is about. But uh, basically, the problem with RNA is it's really good for templating, right? That's good. Because you know mRNA, right? You use mRNA. You know you can like sequence, um, or not mRNA, but uh, it, it like like for um, like not DNA DNA replication. Like like okay. RNA is really nice for making another copy of itself. The problem is RNA sticky. It's literally sticky. Like like once you have a double strand, trying to pull it apart um, in the primordial soup, there are no enzymes at this time on Earth. So how do you rip the strand apart and make a new oh. strand? How does it replicate, right? So that's, that was the biggest objection um, to the RNA world hypothesis because RNA is too sticky. You can't possibly have a molecule that can copy itself over and over. In fact, um, uh, I, I know this is very debatable, what the definition of life is, but um, most people will say that self-replication is one of the requirements for life to reproduce right. so you know like like uh, that's why most people don't consider viruses as living right viruses can't reproduce by themselves they have to inject their genetic material um into a host cell in, in which case then they can reproduce that's that's the one thing they're missing um in terms of uh, uh, uh self-replication so with this development um uh, let me pull up my uh, notes here again uh, they're saying that uh, maybe uh, so this is by a uh, Krishna uh, Rama. Oh, sorry, let me get the name here. Rama Naraya. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry if I'm butchering this name here. Rama Narayanan Krishna uh, who's a studies senior author. Um, he's a PhD and associate professor of chemistry at the Scripps Research Institute. Um, um, he had his doubts as well, uh, and now with the discovery or this proposal of a diamidophosphate, they're saying that. Um, the early world, um, the primordial soup, might have used a DNA-RNA combo. So both of them are existing at the same time? Sort of. Sort of. Um, it wasn't really like you had a whole DNA strand or a whole RNA strand. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the article calls them chimeric molecules um, after the kind of, I think, the Greek myth about the chimera, which is like this really crazy um, uh, mixture of, of animals. Uh, or it's like it's like one animal with like a, a head of one animal and the body of another and the tail of oh. it, it, a, a chimera. Yeah, um, you I can look yeah, that up. I've never heard of that. Um, it, it's I think I think it's a Greek myth, but 
basically these chimeric molecules were the predecessors to um, like pure uh, DNA um, in, in the real world uh, in, in the current in, as in life as we know it. Wow. wow. So because these chimeric molecules don't require enzymes to reproduce, which is perfect because in the early primordial soup, there were no enzymes, at least as far as we know, there were no enzymes. So they're, they're saying that, you know, DAP um, could have helped knit together this kind of RNA DNA mix, which would have helped early life um, form on earth. Okay. And what is this DAP? What, what's it? Um, is it like a, an enzyme or is it a, I'm not sure if you, that up. I think it's more of a catalyst. Uh, I would okay. argue, by definition, it sounds more like a catalyst. A, 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 diam a diam diamidophosphate. Diamidophosphate. DAP. Diamidophosphate. Okay. And um, what? Uh, so I, I mentioned, like I, I kind of hinted in the beginning, why is this important to um, uh, you know to the both of us and, and to our audience? Like, why mm. should normal people worry about this or 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 care for it? And um, the uh, actual the, the head professor of the study, um, he actually says that this is a great way um, to help with DNA replication without the need for enzymes or enzymeless DNA replication. Uh, Ryan, have you ever heard of PCR before or PCR. like the PCR method? No, I, I, no, I don't think so. Might have forgotten from the, bio, but it, it is um, a bio-related term. So okay. you're, you're right there. Um, it's known as the uh, polymerase, polymerase chain reaction. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, I remember this. We're, um, yeah, there we go. Like, uh, if you imagine, like, crime scenes, right? Like, maybe there's the, um, you know, someone left a, a strand of hair. How do you get enough DNA to further study? You need to duplicate that DNA. So PCR yeah. requires using uh, a DNA polymerase uh, in a kind of hot water bath, and over time, you rinse and repeat so you, um, the number of DNA molecules are, are grows, and PCR is used in a lot of COVID nineteen tests as well to duplicate um, the genetic material. But the problem is uh, the polymerase enzymes um, are pretty sensitive; they're fragile. So right. he's proposing that maybe in the future we can use stuff similar to DAP to not have to use enzymes for um, you know DNA and RNA replication and um, fabrication. So if you're making a custom uh, strand, you can use DAP to kind of help you. Uh, and, and DAP is not as um, sensitive to uh, enzyme, uh, uh, as enzymes, because it's just like a, a solid compound. Wow. That, yeah, that, that's, that sounds really cool. I, I remember PCR from, yeah, from bio, um, from forensic studies, you know, they needed to replicate, uh, like a really small, it's as small as DNA, if they just get that, they can be able to just duplicate that, you know, and then yeah. find, find yeah. the target. That's uh, such a useful technique too. Uh, you know, if you think about it, like just to track down on individuals with a s small like uh, sequence, and then be able to right. any you know dead skin, um, hair, uh, uh, you know a anything, anything that you know has a, just a little bit of DNA, um, PCR can help like you know amplify that. So yeah, that's that's it's really beautiful about like sort of sequences. You know, you can repeat them and then and then sort of create something. And create uh, sort of the original, well, not the original product, but uh, and the forensic, you can create who the person was or their their DNA. Right. Yeah. Right. Know. It's. Um, I, don't know if it's like, I, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, but I think it like hints to the sort of like why I'm so like why I think this is so cool. You know, like understanding yeah. how uh, these molecular structures, which literally came out of uh, almost nothing, right? You just you just had the soup. 
of mm-hmm. amino acids, and, and somehow over thousands and millions of years, uh, um, you know, in, in the very early days, uh, the, the universe, or um, no, what were you going to say, Ryan? I would say billions, add on to millions. I think it's like four billion years ago was the, well, okay. it was prokaryotes well, I, were, were found. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, like, from, like, the other way around. So, from, like, the soup to the prokaryotes. So, oh, I would gotcha. imagine gotcha. it could have been a billion. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure what the exact um, time scale is. But I just think it's so cool how, um, over time, uh, the universe or, or physics or chemistry, um, just these natural forces of nature figured out, aha, RNA and DNA are the best ways to contain information and to allow it to replicate, to introduce variation, um, it's just so universal and it's, it's, it really is, you know, the blueprint, um, for life. It's truly, yeah. truly remarkable. And they just use, you know, like A, G, C, T. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, G, C. I always remember it as GCAT because guanine okay. pairs with cytosine mm-hmm. and adenine pairs with uh, thymine. So yeah. And, GCAT. And, and, and that even goes into like mutations, right? Like even in, you know we see it in today with the covid strain it's all over the news about this new mutation that came out that's supposed to be right you know and like it's it, yeah it's just crazy how different mutations of a certain gene sequence can create such variations you know in 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 life like with animals with you me um yeah how yeah i mean uh, personalities yeah <laughs> yeah most of the time uh these mutations uh, don't really do anything like there, most the most mutations are harmless, um, but occasionally, like it's really cool how DNA is is very accurate. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, you know uh, the the idea of evolution, right? Like you will have these mutations, but uh, eventually you'll get a mutation that is advantageous, which you know makes it you know easier for you um, as an animal to uh, reproduce and, and pass on that mutation for future generations because you you have the upper hand in terms of competition. And I think that goes with like Charles uh, Charles Dar- Darwin, right? Yeah, his yeah. his idea with the birds and all the different islands, different right beaks. on the Galapagos. Yeah, and the HMS Beagle. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and that really, yeah. I mean, that's talked heavily in biology. It must be so amazing though to find that passion and and like follow it to you know, with with you know when he was studying the Galapagos Islands, to be able oh, to, yeah. to to come up I with mean, these, like explorations and findings. Wow. But keep in mind, I mean, when Darwin came back with his findings, he was humiliated. Right. Um, for, like, like it, it took decades before anyone was willing to say, like, you, you know what, Darwin was. And, and now, I mean, you know, if, if he could see, if he could see the impact of his work, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's always, it's always one of the great shames of science, right? There's so many brilliant minds. And, and in their generation, the work is like mocked or derided. No one's willing to believe them. And it's only until, you know, decades after they're dead that, yeah. you know, now we realize, like, you know what? You were right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Galileo, right? That's like a another good example. Oh yeah, of what, um, uh, heliocentrism. Nobody, because it went against the church. Yeah, uh, and, and you know the church was willing to prosecute. Um, yeah. So that was, a, that was a big factor of the, like the church. You know, they, they were right. Sort of, um, religious persecution, but yeah. but I think one of the things that touches me um, for someone, uh, I consider myself agnostic. So you know, I mean, if. Uh, I, I don't like vehemently go out of my way to try and disprove there is a God. But at the same time, I'm not t- entirely willing to accept that there is one. But uh, I know um, Newton, um, Isaac Newton, um, once said that he didn't, I, I think it was Newton, um, I, I hope I'm saying this right, but, but his goal in studying science wasn't to try and disprove 
Christianity or God. It was to actually appreciate God's work and how he had, you know, made the universe and, and created. And I thought that was really beautiful. Like it's, a, it's a really wonderful way of, of integrating um, the two because I, I, yeah. I don't think, you know, this, this may be a very liberal standpoint on it. I don't think, there, I don't think science and Christianity should be um, uh, mutually exclusive, but, but maybe I'm treading in a hot water there. I know, right? Anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, it's, it's a very contested uh, subject, I know. So, <laughs> I know, yeah, you brought that up, and I was about to bring that up too. That you know, like it's it's really beautiful the way Newton was able to combine the two, right? And, and I'm going to be honest. Um, the more you learn, like about science and, and math and, and physics and, and the world around you, it almost to me there are some things that are so elegantly made or that work so well yeah. that I, I am almost inclined to believe that just maybe, just maybe. There, there might be a higher force at work, just maybe, um, but but it could it could also be random. I mean, we we don't know, we don't know. But yeah. that is um, that, that is up to like, your faith. And uh, John, do you like do you would you consider yourself believing in, in coincidences, or do you think things happen for a reason? Cool. Oh, that's <laughs> a, I don't know. The the problem with that is like uh, you know beliefs are are very much subject to um, you know emotion, right? So so sometimes you're really happy, like you've got something, and you're like, yes, I deserve this because you know like X, Y, and Z. And other times when something bad happens to you, you're like, this must be the work of some you know higher power or, or something else. So so I I don't know. I I honestly don't have a, a standpoint on that. What about you, Ryan? What do you do you think Ooh, there are yeah. coincidences or Oh, okay. I, I, uh, I think there doesn't exist coincidence. I think everything does happen for some, t- for some reason. Um, just because I think, I think of it as, you know, it's just the way the world works, just the way, I mean, you brought hmm. up like how things are connected in different ways, like in physics or like, um, you know, when you, when you map, oh, when we study like plants, the way they grow, it's, it's, uh, or snails, the way they shape their, 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 uh, their shell into like a fractal uh, uh-huh. shape um, or the reason why certain animals strive in certain environments. Well, I guess that goes into evolution, but um, or the way, like, I don't know, things just align in certain ways that, that uh, it almost yeah, seems just as like, if why, like, it's just so beautiful that there is like, there could be, you know, someone, some underlying. Yeah. It's um, I, I know exactly what you're, um, what like, you're describing it's, even with the you know we talk, we talk about neutrons protons uh electrons you know if we didn't have one of those we, we right, right i mean how, how would here, it you know what, what alternative is there exactly or yeah. or you know i think what's even really cool is like uh i think there are only 25 amino acids i want to like like there's only a fixed number right. but look at the amount of diversity of life on earth like you know, like we have humans, uh, prokaryotes, parrots, uh, turtles, and it's it's amazing. And, and all of these things use DNA and, and and have this sort of universal template. And it is um, it's an absolutely um, wonderful thing to realize and, and to to understand. And uh, and I think uh, before we go into your next, or if we hold on, how, how much time? I don't know. I, don't know. Uh, I guess we have another ten minutes. Uh, yeah, so I can, yeah. I, I can go into my article. Uh, uh, Yes. Uh, before we do that, though, um, I, I think like just like one side note is like that's part of one of our goals for like the Zero X Two C podcast is to kind of you know give you guys this um, taste of you know the wonderful things that 
you know, these developments in, in science technology have for us and, and a greater appreciation um, of the world around us. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah. again, we're just given like our sort of two cents, our, our ideas. Right. Uh, we're right. not, we're not saying we're hundred percent right. You know, we'll, we'll always be wrong and maybe something and, you know, yeah, or experts. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, I think Ryan and I have even learned some new stuff from chat as well. I mean, we definitely pick up uh, new things as well. So, so um, we're learning as well, like along with you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and feel free to make corrections too. My goodness. Like if, if Ryan and I, Ryan or I ever make like a mistake, you mm-hmm. know, by all due means, uh, uh, we, we always strive to be as accurate um, as possible. It, it is never our intention to, you know, mislead or, or, you know, come up with some, some, you know, garbage on the spot. But, right. Uh, uh, so yeah. How about we, uh, we wrap it up, uh, okay. wrap up today's episode with, uh, Ryan, how about you present your last article? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So this article is, um, going to be looking into six incredible space missions to look forward to 2021. So I guess we'll sort of do like a little recap of space exploration in this year. So, uh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, so yeah, despite the COVID-19 pandemic, space exploration has still been able to achieve uh, notable firsts in 2020. So um, the two being commercial human spaceflight and returning samples from asteroids back to Earth. And this is from John. John, actually, you, you, went, you talked about this in, um, with the Hayabusa. And, uh, yes, Hayabusa 2. <laughs> Hayabusa 2. Yeah, my bad. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, because uh, JAXA did launch uh, Hayabusa, and then the Japanese, um, I think they came up with the, another um, revision here. And, uh, yeah, so, John, have you heard of any uh, future space missions for 2021? Um, for 2021, the one that I'm really looking forward to is the James Webb Telescope launch. That's super, like, juicy to me, because Hubble, Hubble has definitely given um, all of humanity uh, a, a wonderful, like absolutely breathtaking view of where we are in the universe and and what the rest of space looks like. But James Webb is like on is like Hubble on steroids. Like we're, we're gonna have like even crispier photos um, of yeah. the universe. So I'm I'm hyped for that. <laughs> no, me too. Yeah, honestly, like with that telescope, I wonder what what kind of pictures we'll you know, we'll get from space. Um, yeah, and that's actually in one of the. Uh, it's one of them. So. Great, great. We oh, okay, so, cool. Yeah. So we hit, we <laughs> I didn't. Ex- I, <laughs> all right, so, five to go then. Yeah, so you'll actually let, let's continue on a little bit more about the James uh, Webb Telescope. So, um, so yeah, it's the successor of the Hubble Telescope, which John did mention in the previous uh, episodes. That went pretty terrible, and in the yeah, in the beginning, in it the was beginning. a national embarrassment. I mean, that's millions of dollars of our taxpayer money. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for the the mirror, the mirror, um, they they screwed that up um, on the first launch. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. So this telescope is supposed to be launched on the Ariane Five rocket on October thirty first. So Ariane Five is not um, a NASA. It's not NASA. That is um, ESA, right? Uh oh, I, I didn't I didn't search that. I just know it's an Ariane Five rocket. But you're, okay, I think you're so, probably right on that. I'm pretty sure um, Ariane Five is kind of one of the flagship rockets um, of the ESA, so the European Space Agency. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. That's right. The ESA? Okay, that's interesting. Is that what it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah the ESA. Okay. The European Space Agency. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's right. Um, oh, and so I guess a little fun fact. This telescope is, is 14 years late. And, uh, and 14 years late? 14 years late and has cost us roughly... Holy smokes. ...10 billion in US dollars after apparent underestimates and overrun to those similar to the Hubble. So, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. But we'll get those high-def high, high def pictures. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, let's go. 
Hubble, you know, in the beginning, it was a mess, but um, I still really think it, it was cool how they were still able to repair Hubble yeah. with corrective optics and That's salvage right. that project. Yeah, it's, it's what you do from the failure, you know, to right? Make, to make up for it. <laughs> Right, and, and you know, I, I mean, we've we've learned something from it too. I guess now NASA knows, like, okay, we got to be more stringent on the how these mirrors are contracted and manufactured. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the, from the Hubble telescope, we were able to get pictures, but um, what what uh, sort of caused an issue was uh, grabbing faraway galaxies, and there was a gas cloud maybe in front of the galaxy, so it would cover up the uh, the galaxy behind it. So, but with this, tel with the uh, James Webb Telescope, it's going to have infrared wavelength, uh, uh, I guess, image, and so oh, it's, okay. it's going to it's going to block out those those gas clouds. So we'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll get that really good good nice. those good pictures. So and we we have like a it sounds like we have a wider spectrum available to us for um, for solar observation. Exactly. Or for um, stellar, not solar, stellar, stellar. observation. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, so. The, so this telescope is three, uh, 2.7 times bigger. Um, so it's 6.5 meters in diameter of the, uh, versus the Hubble's, which was 2.4 meters in diameter. Is that so. the mirror diameter, like the um, r the rear yeah. mirror? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me clarify. Yeah, the mirror. And, um, and so, yeah, so this obviously helped better resolution and get those finer grain details for us Earthlings, you know, that, that we just want to nice. see what's out there. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So some goals of these telescopes are to take pictures of the galaxies, of course, um, but they are focusing at the edge of the universe. And the reason why is because this may help us find out what the um, origins of life and um, as well as, you know, look at other stars, planetary systems. But uh, yeah, I think that's super cool because getting a picture of the edge of the universe is, is sort of like... Oh, wow, the edge of the, okay. So I guess, well, I guess you, you should say the edge of the observable universe, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, there's, there's probably plenty that we can't, um, uh, at least I don't think we can quantify how big the um, universe actually is. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, yeah, so when I say edge, it's like sort of fun throwing out like edge, quote unquote. No, definitely, yeah. definitely. I, I see what you mean. <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay, so yeah, that's the James Webb Telescope. Now we're going to go into the Ar Artemis 1. Uh, one. Wait, no, Artemis. Yeah, Artemis one. <laughs> I was going to say something else. Um, but this is the first flight of the NASA-led international Artemis program to return astronauts uh, to the moon by 2024. So this uh, this project is basically going to go from go out from Earth. Uh, it's going to go to the moon, orbit around the moon, and then come all the way back to Earth's orbit, and then hopefully land safely in the oceans. Um, and so it's going to reach a maximum distance of, from Earth of 450,000 kilometers. Uh, and it's the farthest into space any spacecraft has flown. So that's pretty poggers to me. And, um, and uh, yeah, so, and there's actually a really cool YouTube video uh, of this. And they, they, they simulate it with some nice 3D graphics. So for those that are interested, uh, on YouTube, search up Artemis 1, and you'll find, like, the, the mission for it. It's really cool. And so now on this Artemis one, there's the Orion capsule. Have you heard of that, John? On the Artemis, I might have. I'm okay. vaguely familiar. Like I know the goal is to get to the moon um, again. I mean, we, um, you know, we had uh, we already did this stuff during the Cold War, but you know, once the Cold War like kind of ended, you know, there wasn't really as much uh, motivation to, um, you know, for space exploration. That's right. And uh, on top of that is, is is going to the moon and, and like coming back. Right. And landing. okay. So, so when you say go to the, like, we're not going to land on the moon, we're just no. going to orbit and then we're going to come back. 
Right. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's, it's sort of like a um, uh, like I, I, the first ever mission was yeah, yeah just sort of orbit the moon, come back. But I've, I think eventually the plan is that we will have like you know someone go on the moon, and then eventually you know uh, I, I don't know a, a base there um, or maybe not under Artemis one, but it, it, I think it's an implied goal that you know eventually we will have more consistent travel between Earth and the moon. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's yeah, that's the future future goal. And we said it was SpaceX already, you know. So that's pretty Oh, nice. Okay. Exciting. Um yeah, so the Orion capsule is going to be the uh it's it's literally like so you know how rockets are super like super super tall. The yeah, Orion capsule yeah. is literally it's it's uh, uh, the part of the rocket that's like the very tip. Almost the tip. Yeah, it, it's um a lot of the I didn't realize this when I was uh, younger, but like the 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 huge like all of it is really just rocket fuel. Like you yeah. need that yeah, 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 thrust yeah. to break, you know, from Earth's gravity. It's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Like I would say ninety percent of the rocket is the rocket fuel, and then the small ten percent is is what actually houses people <laughs> or like any anything else. So this um so this Ryan capsule is gonna it's supposed to house four astronauts and be able to return from the trip. Uh, yeah, uh, so it's, that's going to be pretty, pretty cool to see humans be able yeah, to orbit yeah. and then you know see if we come back. Oh, so. I wish we could, you know, as as a species, you know, do more space exploration. Like you know, I I I, I watch a lot of Star Trek. Like I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, and, and you know, like at that point in time, like you know, we've explored so much of the galaxy, and but like I mean, like we're born in this time where we're, we're just beginning to reach back to the moon, and and I remember, um, uh, Ryan, have you played Halo before, the video game? Yeah, I think you asked me that. Yeah, like okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm like vaguely familiar with the early like history of like the, the so it's like you know Earth as the United Earth government, the UEG, and and how Earth expanded, and and we have colonies or cities on the um, the moons of Jupiter and and all that stuff, and and it just, you know what I mean, Ryan? Like it, it it can't come soon enough. Like I'm itching to you know be able to you know do space travel uh, as easily as we do you know like airplanes or um, yeah boats <laughs> we're close I, I would say we're close i, I would say I definitely you know i would see that in our lifetime um it's kind Before of weird too old <laughs> yeah it's kind of awkward you know it's really awkward time i think for us like to, oh yeah we're definitely sort of, we're, we're at after cold war you know we're you know we, we, we're, we're sort of stuck i don't know you know the u.s had plans to go to mars like like i think it was in like another document that came out but like after the moon i think nasa and the government were like okay um, once we get to the moon, we're going to go for Mars. Like That's the next target. And that was like 1978 or 1980. Oh, that was like wow. a targeted. Yeah. But, but you know, after the Cold War, we're like, okay, we've, uh, or um, I guess, you know, later on in the war, like we've proven to the uh, Soviets, like we are the, uh, you know, the United States is the superior um, global force now. And we don't want to sink any more money. And, and ever since then, like, if you look, I think it's pretty depressing. If you look at the budget for NASA, they keep like, cutting like you rarely ever hear like ah yes nasa's getting a bonus when have you ever heard like nasa's getting more funding it's always the other way around like okay now we're cutting you know more and more money from this um agency which is pretty sad yeah yeah there's i mean there's but there's you know to be devil's advocate there's always the argument well we need to fix what's on earth before we go to the right that is true but but you know at the same time there's more than enough proof that shows that funding NASA actually like you get a return on investment as well with the uh, new technology that comes out and and uh, you know you're hiring people as well and it, so it's it's not um, but but I see the argument I you know it is um, it is not wrong to argue that okay that money could have been used for social welfare programs or uh, for domestic development 
mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. Absolutely. All right. Um, oh, yeah. And so, so sort of to wrap up the Artemis, Artemis 1, uh, this mission is scheduled to happen in late 2021. So Late 2021. Okay. Oh, yeah. And let me clarify this. They're not uh, launching p- uh, people to be inside of it. So th- this is really just going to be the rocket and to see if it comes back safely. So this oh, is without humans. Oh, it, it's the SpaceX. So is this supposed to land upright? Is that like the goal? Like, no, no, no. Is it reusable? Oh, okay. It's just, it's, oh, it's just a dummy test, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a dummy test. Okay. Okay, cool. They're cool. trying to land the Orion back onto Earth. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So with, yeah, with this, since it's NASA-led, um, which is interesting because but uh, a lot of the things, they're not really trying to preserve, uh, like what Tesla does is try to preserve the rockets that go out and make it land back. Right. Tesla, right. I think it's too much overhead. I mean, like, yeah. I think for the deadline 2024, I can understand, like, okay, just, like, get it to work, and we'll call it, you know, like, we'll say, like, you know, this is a, a, a good milestone. But, um, wow, okay. Yeah, so the third one, uh, well, this sort of mixes in a couple more, but the Mars mission, uh, and they're planning to send some rovers. So uh, in February, this upcoming February, so, like, next month, uh, Mars is going to receive a, a flotilla. Of a ter- flotilla. Flotilla, okay. sorry. <laughs> flotilla. No, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, of terrestrial robotic guests from uh, various countries. Uh, the first one being the United Arab uh, Emirates Al Amal, or uh, Hope. Uh, spacecraft is um, the Arab world's first interplanetary mission, and it is scheduled to arrive mm-hmm. in Mars orbit on February 9th. Uh, and, oh, and it's going to spend two years monitoring the planet's surface and weather slash atmosphere. Wow, okay. And so then the other country is China, and they're going to be sending their Tianwen-1, consisting of one orbiter and a surface rover. So that's oh, interesting. Okay. I wonder how that deploy, like, deploys. They're going to have an orbiter and then a, a, a rover, too. I think the U.S. has done that before, ha- haven't they? Like, yeah. I think earlier Mars. Is, doesn't the orbiter act almost like a relay? Like, it's like a radio relay? Oh, I, I didn't look into like too deep into it. I no, I, I, but I, I would, I'm willing to argue like that's the purpose of having the orbiter because there's no way, or at least I don't think there's a way ah, that, that the sense. rover by itself can, send you know, those signals. Tra- right. So we, we send it to the orbiter and the orbiter can amplify and then send it to earth. That's right. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so China's goal is for the rovers are to map out the mineral composition of the surface and search for any subsurface water de- deposits. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. On Mars. Yeah. And so the third one is NASA's per- uh, Perseverance rover, and it will land at Jezero Crater. hope I said that right. On February 18th, so next month, uh, to search for signs of ancient life, which may have been preserved in the clay deposits there, which that's like, that would be really cool if we you know, find ancient life on Mars. That would yeah. be insane. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there have been, I, I know it's been like hypothesized, right? Like, er, like early in Mars's history, there was water and then the water evaporated and, and, you know, Mars became kind of this dead planet. And I've heard the counter argument too, like maybe the water wasn't there long enough for life to form. So there may not be any life there. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of this? There was an incident that happened before. This wasn't with Mars rocks. I think it was with, um, it could have been with Mars rocks or it could have been with lunar rocks. But NASA got the sample of rocks and they did like, they put it under a microscope and they got super excited because they thought they saw like bacteria, you know, like oh. a dead living thing, uh, you know, on dead cells on the, uh, 
rocks. And then it turned out it was because they, d- they didn't handle it well enough. So, so it got contaminated. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Debated. Yeah, so I, I, th- I was like, oh, man, you've really played yourself this time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Someone didn't, like, wear gloves or, like, <laughs> spat on it. I forget what the exact story was. It was, it was like a super small error, I think. But <laughs> Wow. Um, they got us. No, they didn't get us because we found out. But yeah, yeah. so the 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 last one being the uh, Chandrayaan three. Chan, is it Chan Chandrayaan? Is it wait? What is this Indian or is this like uh, what is the Indian? Oh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't know the the proper pronunciation here. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm going for my best my best bet. Chandrayaan three. If I'm wrong, chat always if you guys maybe know. But in March 2021, the ISRO or the Indian Space Research Organization is <laughs> is planning to launch their <laughs> third lunar mission. So in 2008, the Chandrayaan-1 was uh, one of the first missions to confirm if there was any evidence of water on the moon. Um, but unfortunately, less than a year, they lost contact to that rover. And they also sank another one, so the Chandrayaan-2, and uh, but they also lost contact to that. So this is the third one, hoping for the best for, uh, for that yeah, rover. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. And uh, yeah, that wraps up all the... All of all of the 2021 space uh, missions that are well, it looks like we've got a lot. Like there's a, definitely a lot going on, and yep. and uh, um, yeah, I guess we're um, we're both you know really excited to see where uh, where these what you know what results these missions will have, and and uh, you know uh, we're, I mean fingers crossed, Ryan. Uh, we'll we'll get to the point where we've got colonies on the moon and and uh, you know on other planets, and who knows. Yeah, yes. in our lifetime, that's that's really like right. What I'm hoping for today. interstellar travel. I, I always love the um, you, like you know, in movies they have like with the idea of stasis, right? Like, okay, go to sleep for like ten years or something, and then you wake up, and yeah. you're at like the other planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they sort of freeze you, in in those yeah, capsules, they, I found they out, put yeah. you in this like metabolically reduced state. So your body doesn't consume as much energy or, or as much nutrients, and you just you know you're sleeping and, until you. Uh, but this is like pre, uh, you know, other universes we figured out we somehow figured out uh, faster than light travel. So like in Star Trek, you're like, um, you know, warp nine, you know, and then boom, you know, you're just zooming, teleport. Yeah, you're just zooming. <laughs> or like the theory of wormholes, and if we hop into this wormhole, we'll end up in over here. Yeah, or you know, uh, uh, if we can create. I mean, a lot of sci-fi talks oh, about like. Yeah subspace or like another dimension or um you know like, like or uh, i love um hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um, i think yeah, I've, i mentioned familiar. that before it's a movie right obviously uh, it's a it's a it, it started out as a novel and then it, oh. it was adapted into a movie okay the hitchhikers and th- they had this cute uh, this definitely isn't a spoiler um for any of you if you have not seen it but there's a there's a thing they call the um infinite improbability drive which um it, it like the, the apparent mechanism is that it, it takes all these improbable events and eventually it gets to like the one where you're like, you know, at your location or something. And it's, it's, it's a very, um, the whole movie has a very kind of goofy appeal to it. Uh, I, I'd strongly encourage any like sci-fi aficionados to <laughs> um, yeah. check it out. If chat has any like favorite sci-fi movies, what, what are your, what are your favorite? <laughs> yeah. I mean, before we, uh, before we decide to wrap up the, uh, um, the episode, if there are any like, uh, um, yeah, I think Star Trek's always been like a, a huge favorite of mine, though. It, um, yeah. I think mostly because I know, like, for the latest series, Discovery, it's a lot of action. But the thing I always admired about Star Trek was it—it it, it has a lot of uh, diplomacy. 
you know, like, okay, how would you interact, you know, like, like there's a, a on the brink of war, you know, like uh, Jean-Luc Picard um, has to come in and, and kind of negotiate the, so it's not all like laser beams and, yeah. and, and you know, Star action. Wars, and, I guess. <laughs> Star Wars, yeah, Star Wars is, um, but Star Wars is still a, a, a really awesome Classic. series. Although I know like um, the consensus on the Disney movies, you know what I mean? Like at, once Disney took over, some people oh. are like, this is terrible. And others are like, this is actually pretty good. You know, it's, it's the huge divide. But Yeah. Uh, I fell in love with Star Wars, like first for my first sci-fi sort of, when I was a oh, kid. Oh, nice. Um, I got into really into those uh, Legos, Star Wars Legos. Oh, yeah. Oh, there, there's a lot of Lego kids. merch, huh? But it's so expensive. <laughs> I would only buy like the $10 ones, you know, the small ones. Oh, okay. The small kids. But they're so fun. Yeah. And then I would customize them. I would watch YouTube videos on how to customize your clone to make them look like certain generals what was i thinking of i uh shoot oh alien like are you familiar with that series ryan um I, I've, I've seen it like around the, the chest buster wa- yeah yeah you, you talked about this I, I haven't seen that movie i still haven't seen that movie oh you gotta you gotta you gotta I've seen the clips it, though it's super it's super nasty though the way it just busts out of his, his yeah it's nasty I, but that's sort of like I think I like it so much because it's such a dystopian view of of what aliens are would be like to us. Like I think um, yeah. in sci-fi, there's like two huge splits, right? One of them is that aliens are super friendly. Like we make contact with them, and the aliens are like, "Oh, yo, you know, like it's it's nice to meet you guys. We're super excited to communicate with you." And the other half of sci-fi is like aliens hate us. The moment they see <laughs> us, they're gonna destroy us. They're gonna wipe oh, Earth man. off the you know the face of the universe, and and um, but uh, yeah, I just love the um, uh, Sigourney Weaver's acting is absolutely phenomenal um, um, across all the Alien movies, and I'm I'm a huge fan of of her and you know of the um, just of the series in general. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was gonna say, you know, it's amazing how you mem- uh, people memorize actors' names. For me, I always after I watch a movie, I don't remember the actors' names. Oh, <laughs> only very particular movies, I guess I would remember them. But yeah, I think it's just okay. If you names. why don't you list? Hold on, how much more? Okay, well, I think for the last like one or two minutes, why don't you list off the actors like you know off the top of your head? Oh like, my gosh, you put me in the spot, John. <laughs> now I'm gonna forget everything. You can't do this. No, to no. Me. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just I'm just curious. Like, how many do you? How many do you know? Oh, Michael B. Jordan, uh, Chadwick. Uh, wait, Chad Boswick. Oh man, <laughs> Chad Boswick. Chad Boswick, guys. He's a another actor um i think it's chadwick boseman dude oh thank you thank you <laughs> chadwick boseman <laughs> see what i'm saying like i just mix his name but man it's because i watched black panther recently with uh uh yeah rest in peace chadwick yeah boseman. um boseman. definitely a, a huge loss yeah but um it's because yeah i recently watched uh black panther because it was so good i you know i rewatched it um what else that was two right i gave you two yeah um off the top of my head. You know, I'm going to be honest, Ryan. I probably know a similar number to you. Like, if you put me on the spot, I, I'd probably, like, let's see, who, who would I? Harrison Ford, Tom Hanks, Sigourney Weaver. Um, uh, Charles Darwin. I'm just kidding. Charles Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, he was an actor. Um, the, the large majority of society thought he was uh, acting stupid uh, <laughs> uh, when, when he came back with his um, research. But, I mean, now... <laughs> Uh, he's uh, revered, you know, sort of the uh, pioneering father of, of one of the uh, pillars of biology. But, uh, anyways, I think, I think we can, I think we can call it a call it a night, Ryan. Uh, okay. I think Ryan and I are, are still very keen on continuing um, Xerox 2C, and uh, 
if you have any themes you want us to look into or um, any topics in particular you might want us to emphasize for an episode, uh, feel free to uh, you know put it in a chat or um, we do have Instagram. So uh, you know you can DM uh, the topic of interest. Uh, we we always announce when our streams are going on, and I I need to start posting like actual content on that account. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you guys for listening uh, today's podcast. Um, as always, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you hopefully next time. Mm-hmm.